Axiom, the tasty truth. Hey there, ladies and germs. I'm here with Jimmy Lewis from the Hurt and Heartbeat, and uh, we're here to chat music with y'all. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, brother? Same old, same old, my dude. Just drinking uh, another day, another dollar, another bill collecting collar. You know how it goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's jump into it. Uh, what's the origin story of Hurt and the Heartbeat? How'd that get started? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, there. The reality is I uh, was coming out of a bad relationship after nine years, and I uh, broke up with a chick, and uh, I moved in a car. Like I, I, I moved into my car for about six months, and then uh, saved up some money and ended up in this place called the Coast Inn in Laguna Beach, and it was kind of like this, um, it was the first like openly gay hotel in uh, in. California. And I didn't know that, but I thought that was awesome when I did find that out. And then at that point, I met all these different interesting people in that, that coast in. And, uh, one of the people that I met was this guy, his name is Eddie. And, uh, he basically had a, uh, recording studio in his, uh, in, in, in his apartment. And so, or what should I say? Hotel room. And so at that point, one night I came in there, I was all bummed out and, uh, he looked at me and he's just like, man, he's like, you're talking about this stuff. Just, just play it. And then at that point I just like five or six songs just came out, he hit record. And then at that point, uh, you know, I kind of thought maybe I should continue doing this because I love music of course, but I never really, uh, thought that anything I wrote was, was worthy of anything until maybe that night when my friends, kind of uh seem interested and then after that uh then i rounded up my friend rondy uh, she's a bass player i rounded up my friend richard cadman he's a rhythm guitar player rounded up my friend timo and at that point we just started figuring out you know this band life shit and that that's really kind of how it started that's fucking rad dude i do have to ask though what makes a hotel openly gay like i'm very <clears throat> intrigued by that that's awesome but well, what is it okay so, um, you, okay. How do I explain this? Um, it, it was just known that you could, you could frequent there no matter who you were, if you were straight or gay, no one was going to judge you. So basically people like, hold on, I got an ambulance coming by people like rock Hudson, Marilyn Monroe, uh, all these just different people like frequented that, that hotel and that gave it this like mystique. And then by the time the 80s came around, it became known as like the club boom or like the boom boom room, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I kind of saw the remnants of all this, which was like go-go dancers and this just big, huge club underneath the hotel that I lived at. And it was just fascinating, bro. It was just totally fascinating. I didn't get to see any of the the, the stuff that went down, but I just heard the stories and some of my friends, they, they lived it and they were still part of that, that 
scene. So I got to learn about, you know, the coast in. That's, that's wild, dude. I love it. Um, so, uh, what's thing that, what's one thing, you know, now that you'd wish you'd known then when you were recording songs in that hotel room? Uh, I wish that I would have, um, just held on to my friends a lot tighter. That's all. Just just grabbed onto my friends a lot tighter. I know that that was supposed to be musical musically, but I think uh, not inherently. Just you know, just just holding on to my friends like just as tight as I can. That's that's that's. I'm doing that now, and I just wish I would have done it then. You know, so that's kind of it. Yeah, that's one thing that I think the whole nonsense of uh, the pandemic has shown us is that, you know, you got to hold on to the the people that are close to you because it's easy to drift away and lose the important things. Definitely. I haven't even talked to my band during the pandemic. I mean, we've texted maybe twice, you know, but we don't, you know, it's just like we're all underwater right now. And it's it's kind of cra- I'm I'm also in another band called Jimmy Lewis and the Muckers, which is another um, project that I have. And and with that band, they're like these 21 year old kids that are just ready to go. Okay, and and we started to to uh, you know rehearse for shows, and we started to get ready. And then it, they were all excited. They were all about to turn 21, so they could play these clubs. And then boom, COVID happened. And I haven't, I've seen them once. I think we snuck in a show for like my birthday on Halloween and we might've snuck in another just real private thing. But other than that, I really haven't seen anyone for, uh, since this pandemic and it is truly depressing. It really is. So it, it is, you say underwater and it kind of almost does feel like drowning sometimes, but the, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like I got my first vaccination last week. So like, I'm, you know, there, right. So, you know, it's just a matter of time before, you know, it's all, we're all seeing each other at clubs and concerts again. So, you know, um, well, I saw, I saw videos of, uh, people in Australia and like, it just, you know, blew my mind just seeing concerts and, and people it, like my brain can't assimilate to that yet. Cause I'm so <laughs> in that social distance world still, you know, it's, it's odd. It's a yeah. trip. They nailed it and they've been doing concerts since October and <laughs> Amazing. here we are and coming up on April. <laughs> Dane, for real. Yeah, it is what it is. But, you know, speaking of jamming with 21-year-olds, uh, what does rock and roll mean to you? Uh, rebellion. Just rebellion. And uh, rebellion and truth. That That's just, that's it. Rebellion and truth. I think, you know, uh, our the governments have ways of uh, showing us their truth, you know, their propagated lies. And I think, you know, people like David Bowie and Johnny Cash and even Duran Duran, all these people can paint pictures of what's really happening. Like, a, you know, Bob Dylan, Masters of War, you know, you listen to that song and dude, he, he just writes the history of what's happening in war. And then you understand it, you know, and another song that blew me away, blew me away is this John Brown song by 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 Dylan. And basically the whole thing is, you know, this mom sends this kid off to work is, you know, she's proud of him and he goes out in, into the fields and he, he wants to get these medals and wins. And all of a sudden he, he sees a soldier that looks just like him on the battlefield and he doesn't know what to do. He freezes 
and he doesn't shoot that person. And then all of a sudden he gets blown away and he's got this like band around his waist. And basically when he returns to, uh, his mom, he, he gets off the train and his mom doesn't even recognize him because he's so badly disfigured. That's something you'll never learn in a history book, only through music. So, yeah, no, that's it. Bob Dylan was great, great at that. Uh, but you, you mentioned their truth. Um, did you think that the politicians like know their propaganda is full of shit or do you think that they actually believe uh, their, their quote unquote truth? It depends on the <clears throat> the politicians, you know. It really does. But the, no, I think I think yes. I think they do believe both sides. Both believe in their their convictions because I think they have to. But then again, with the Trump era, I think that had a lot of the Republicans kind of scratching their head, especially with the Capitol thing that went down, scratching their head, going, "Wait a minute, are we on the right side of what's you know what's going on?" And you know, I've been alive for for four decades and i've never seen anything like that and so for our country to just fall apart like that in a quick minute people got to believe in something and that's where it's it's scary because you have all these older people that get tricked into this QAnon bullshit and and all these easily swayable social media posts which me and you can create any day and uh they just get fooled and then they show up to the fucking Capitol building and they want to, they want to cause chaos. And to me, that's, that's not the American way. That's not freedom. That's not justice. That's, that's just these people being played by the system. So. Absolutely. I wish I could figure out the secret to creating one of those memes to, you know, portray a musical point, maybe instead of a, a political one. <laughs> Dude, they created a digital army, and I think that like that's what we got to do. We got to start creating our own digital army, and you know whether it be through music or just like truth. That's that's really it, you know. And just keep spreading the 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 real gospel, the real shit that's happening through music, through just podcast through whatever it be and then you know that's the cool thing about America. We do have freedom of speech, so you know. That's the one thing that we do have. And once they start taking that away, then we have a problem. But that negates the the issue of the QAnons and, and these other cats with the freedom of speech, just the lockers up, locker up and all this just crazy paranoia that gets these people riled up. And there's no sense of peace and justice in that. It's just paranoia. And, and I feel I feel bad for those people. I really do. They, they're completely lost and they're just looking for a friend. So like me and you got to create the digital, you know, positive music uh, army to combat in that crap. No, absolutely. I, I think uh, it was Sarah Silverman uh, who had this this video where she talks. She's with her best friend who is a former neo-Nazi. And it was friendship that got him into that. And it was friendship that got him out. You know, totally. it was, and totally. that's, you know, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's it's wild how much, you know, because freedom of speech is hugely important. But, you know, then you have people using that freedom of speech to, you know, put bullshit out there. And then when you call out that it's bullshit, they claim that you're attacking their freedom of freedom of speech. And you're not like that's Or they, they just say fake news, you know, they just yeah. completely dis, they dis 
you know, own what anything you say by saying this is fake news. And, and just because you can say that, you know, basically fuck off in, in other terms, it, it doesn't mean that it's not true and these facts aren't real. So, like, we got to bring facts back and, you know, the musical digital army. That's what's happening in 2021. <laughs> I'm, I'm about it. I'm into it. As soon as as soon as these uh as soon as your shit back so opens back up, it's it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. Uh, <laughs> so uh, on a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? Oh man, <laughs> oh probably a thirteen. Thirteen. What's the weirdest thing you've done during lockdown? weirdest thing i've done during lockdown besides the, the really ridiculous live streams that i feel embarrassed about i love your uh, live stream i was your first guest oh <laughs> dude yes i mean musical the, the actual like the podcast is fine but when i stand there and you know and i'm playing my guitar and i'm singing into a microphone i just feel like a fool man like i need the energy of real people but um i'd say nothing really changed for me like Nothing changed. Like I'm a UPS driver by day. So I was working. I was actually going out during the whole pandemic. Nothing changed except the music. I didn't get to to play with my friends. So other than that, I, you know, DoorDash, maybe uh, freaking DoorDash people out. I love to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I do DoorDash as my uh, my gig through this whole thing. Well, because my normal gig is, you know, sound and lighting can't do that so uh <laughs> i've been door dashing through this whole thing so what 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 have you done to freak my people out <laughs> well of course i know this is horrible but uh um you know how they'll you're i i have the setting where i'm like leave it by the door you know and my chick will always be like well wait wait they knock just wait let them go and i don't wait i go straight to the door and i like will open it and they're just like what the hell that's number one number two is uh, this, this one, this one guy from New Jersey, he came up to me and I had a, um, a sub, uh, what was it? A, uh, Philly cheesesteak. And I had two of them and he's all, man, this smells really good, man. Really good. And I'm all, thanks bro. Thanks. And he's all nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. And he starts walking down the stairs and I, and I saw that I had two. I saw that I had two sandwiches. I ran down to catch this guy, Joey. And I go, Hey, 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 Hey. And he thought that like I was gonna yell at him or or I was gonna reprimand him. And he's all he's all, what up, man? What? Up? And I handed him the the, the other cheesesteak. And at that point, dude, I knew that he came from New Jersey. I knew that he had a daughter. Like at that point, we became friends. And that's I mean, I don't necessarily freak out my DoorDash guys, but I I like to I like to I like I like to get to know them. And believe me, there's other stories that I'll have to tell you off the air. <laughs> This this is this podcast is rated explicit, dude. Don't you worry about that. So <laughs> well, it's, it's just for my it's just for my own. Uh, just <laughs> right <on>. you know. <laughs> awesome, I, but I love that. That's a great. That's the great word. That's the good weird. You know, making friends with your like it is. It is a lonely, grueling job, and people get matted over us over the things that we have no control over. Right? Like there were not enough ketchup packets in the stapled <laughs> McDonald's bag that we can't go yeah. into <laughs> like, like that. Yeah. But yeah, so you're the good weird. That's, that's fine. You know, that's, 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 that's what, that's, that's what makes it worthwhile sometimes is, is the, the people who don't I'm suck. So, I'm so weird that, let me tell you this, that, that there was a right aid manager 
that came up to me and he goes, bro, do you know Greg from DoorDash? And I'm like, yeah. He's all, he knows you. And I was like, this is like <laughs> completely different area of town, you know, like t- two different cities. And it was all, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. Because that kind of, uh, I don't know, that kind of friendliness, that kind of uh, social, uh, it's not, it's so rare now. Like it's, you don't, people don't meet their neighbors. Like I think I'm the only person in my apartment building who's had a conversation with everyone who lives here. You know, <laughs> like. So it's not, it's not just here because like when I lived in Laguna, like since it's a tourist town, like in, especially in that hotel, dude, I, I. I don't know. I got everyone to talk. I got everyone to like, we had these three level parties and like, uh, I don't know, like I was able to bring people together. And when I left, people were pissed because they said that they, that fell apart, but I thought there's no way that that could fall apart. But then I moved to Mission Viejo and I'm so social that like, yeah, I'm used to saying hi to people. And I look at my neighbors, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And they just know, like, they just, they won't look at you anymore. They just, they like, they're looking at their phones and they're doing something else. And it's just a different world. So to hear that it's happening where you're at too is it's it's crazy. As well, and not just you know in my apartment building. Like when I left Salt Lake City, like I talked to some of my old friends there, and like nobody hangs out anymore. Nobody talks anymore now that I'm gone. Like I'm not going to claim responsibility for that, but yeah, pe- there are people who do, and it's it's weird to me. <laughs> the glue. Or the glue. Yeah, up. that's I've I've heard that used before, and it's it's more people need to be the glue. Like it's not hard. Just don't it's be a dick. <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun. It's exactly. Don't be a dick and just have fun. Teach other people how to have fun. And so I, I think a lot of people they forgot how to have fun. Like once they grew up and they got their job, they just figured that they were an adult and it was over. And people like, you know, you, dude, you, I love your, I love watching your Instagram videos. I love all the shit that you do. You seem like you're truly having fun. And I think that's the one thing that as a fan of music that I've always loved to see, like when I see my favorite artists up on stage and they're just having a good time, just being their drummer, doing whatever the hell they're doing. That's the real enjoyment, not the, the complex chord structures and the, the scale, you know, the Dilutian scale that they're using at the ninth. What, who cares about that? When I see that people are just having a good time, enjoying themselves, enjoying the, the, the precious time that we have, that's what makes the experience fun. Absolutely. Although, to be fair, there are plenty of Dream Feeder fans out there whose idea of making the experience fun is those 714th Dilutian scale. You know? yep. <laughs> like, and yep. that's cool, too. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, it's it, it's it's just I mean, we've talked a million times about The Cure and Robert Smith and that dude, like yep. for writing such depressing music, has so much fun on stage. Right. Like, but they don't oh, let him. Yeah. They don't let them talk <laughs> with good reason. They do, but it's this. It's just this. Q. Q. And that's his thank you. Like, that's his thank you. You just you hear him go, Q. And then he just steps away. It's fucking genius, dude. It's fucking genius. So <laughs> It's brilliant. Uh, so what have you been listening to lately that's been inspiring to you? We've covered a broad swath of music already. God, um, I usually just put shit on shuffle. Um, this, this, this shirt that I'm wearing right here, Fox and the Red Hairs, their song came on the other day, uh, just on shuffle. 
and it was so good. And, and, and it was crazy because it was one of these things where I'm like, who's that? Like, what, what band am I not like, you know? And then I looked and I saw it was Fox and the Red Hairs and I, and I played concerts with these people. So knowing that like, that like someone that I know is actually making music like that I like and like your dumpster girl, like I, I fucking love that song. So like, at the, the, it's awesome to know that I know people that are still creating music that I, that really gels with me. But, uh, this Sharon Von Etten, she's her new albums like dropping this week. That is fucking phenomenal. Everything that that chick does is just gold. I love her to death. Um, who else? Um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> that's fair. I, I got. had no idea that Sheridan Van Etten had a new album coming out. That's exciting because I do I do enjoy her tremendously. Really? So it's and then one more, Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. I'm always kind of listening to him. I don't I constantly just because he's just got a sound that's just so different than than others. And he hasn't released anything new, but it's just I love that that kind of angelic sound. When that dude starts to just sing when he's just singing and he's not even saying words he's just like ah it's it's just beautiful power that i love to hear it is so. oh my god so i've got a peter gabriel story um so uh one time i was hanging out with a bunch of friends and we all decided to challenge each other with what we were calling the the reaper flip which was to do large quantities of uh hallucinogens uh nice. Right, just mixing psilocybin, LSD, DMT, <laughs> just all all of it. Just we all were at once. all at once, just in the weirdest <laughs> place we could get. Right, and I always control the music because no one, none of my friends can look at a phone when they're tripping. So yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I've taught myself over the years to be in control of that. And uh, so at one point, I'm like time traveling in my head, like I'm going back in time to tell myself to play things in the future. And I'm like, I'm going to fuck with everybody. And I put Sledgehammer on. <laughs> I knew you were going that way, too. I knew it. I fucking knew it. Seriously. And it just became this weird thing where like I was actually able to travel through time to tell myself to play Peter Gabriel and everyone's going to love it in the future. And then an hour and a half later, it was, you know, the song of the century. Like, you know, <laughs> what is, oh my God. <laughs> it's weird how, it's weird how psychedelic music, uh, psychedelic drugs, I haven't done any since I was like uh, probably 18. I'm not going to lie. Cause uh, when I was like 15 to 18, uh, I did a, a whole bunch, you know, uh, what mostly, mostly like mushrooms and some acid, but, um, this was prior to any work. This was all like, you know, that young 15 to 18. And I remember one of the, the best times ever was, uh, uh, like the first time I, I did that dropped acid or whatever. I was at my friend's house and I'm the same. I have to be in control of the music. And uh, at one point, I saw this album that I, it looked really strange. And it was like this trippy looking blue and uh, like kind of pink cover. And it was already psychedelic looking. And I'm like, what is this? And it was actually a CD. So I put the CD on and it's uh, Heaven or Las Vegas by the Cocktail Twins. Okay. And so, like, already those people are speaking a different fucking language. Okay. Like they've made up their own fairy language. <laughs> all right. So I'm baking balls. And all of a sudden I'm hearing like, heaven or lost Vegas. And 
and I'm like, what the fuck, dude? What's going on? But it like permanently like it locked into my brain like that. That album just locked into my brain. And like I'm looking in my room. It's within 15 feet of me. Like I can see the album right now and I listen to it like habitually especially after shows like when i'm done like i've done something really good and i feel good about myself i'll listen to that album it's like a fucking reward and it's like a cheap little remembrance of the psychedelic attachment which is great you know it's funny like you you did like most people had their experiences in life and like from like 15 to 18 or 15 to 20 or whatever like i had a very strict upbringing like i you know like i couldn't like look the wrong like if there was traffic i'd get beat because it was somehow my fault you know so like you know i i didn't even touch weed until like i was like 23 (laughs) and so i spent most of my 20s on like all these antidepressants and shit and like there are years of my life i don't remember so like discovering that psychedelics like fix my depression that in the ways that the you know the other drugs don't like that was huge for me yeah. <laughs> so it does. Yeah. It cracks a shell and it makes you realize like the one things that psychedelics definitely do, like all the other fucking antidepressant, all that bullshit, dude, that what it's not helping you. What what the fucking what the what the what it does is it makes you realize that you're part of the ocean, you're part of the sea, you're part of that fucking grass that's growing. You're all part of it. And with that, you're gonna fucking die just like that that blade of grass. And that's natural. And knowing that that's natural takes away from the intensity of being alive in this moment because that's where we get that anxiousness of you know like oh fuck i'm alive in this moment i gotta be great i gotta do something i gotta be you don't gotta do shit you just gotta live and the more you just fucking live and the more you just enjoy the experience the better you learn about yourself and all of this and you know psychedelics are, are the key to that you know that depression when you're really depressed when you're really not understanding what it's about, boom, it, it really does crack that shell. But for me, I couldn't do that to save my life now because even at the tail end, I was starting to have these really bad trips when I was 18 because people would give me like four hits on a like a joke. Here, here's fucking four hits. Ha, ha, ha. And all of a sudden I'd be like, dude, 50,000 feet higher where I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. It's not serving a purpose. Yeah, you know? no, but exactly. It, it served the purpose at the time. And I, I learned that at that young age. But the reason I did is because by the time I was 18, like my, my, my upbringing was so much different than yours. Like my parents were very chill. They let me do things like, like let me, you know, smoke weed in the house when I was young. As long as I stayed there, I was allowed to do that. So, um, my parents both drank, so I didn't really like to, to drink. So at that point, uh, I was kind of in control of my own destiny. And so when I say 15 to 18, once I hit 18 and I was like a responsible adult, I was like, fuck, my parents let me party and let me explore. Now it's time for me to like, you know, grab balls, grab this life by the balls and fucking make something of it without becoming a homeless person. You know, I'm not (laughs) saying that drug use and fucking all these things used to that, but you can go down that wrong path at any given time. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're living on the streets and you're, you're collecting cans to get your next fucking hit of meth. And so it's that thin, yeah. that thin line, you know? So. No, it absolutely is. It's, and it's wild, you know, like, uh, but you mentioned something about, you know, uh, Oh, where was I? Uh, 
about like just living your life, right? And not worrying about being the greatest and, you know, aspiring to be the the reason that Pokemon's theme song exists. Um <laughs> is is that you're uh you can do that counterintuitively by just living your life. Like the people who live to the fullest are the people we still talk about, you know, your Hunter S. Thompson, Dr. Gonzo types that, you know, yep. didn't give a fuck about be the, being the greatest journalist, just gave a fuck about having the craziest adventures and covering the most interesting shit. And that's why we still talk about them, you know? So well, that's Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix always said, you know, he's on that Dick Cavett show that one time and, and Dick Cavett asked him, he's like, how does it feel to be the, you know, the greatest, you know, guitar player in the world? And he's just got all like, he's like, nah, he's like, I'm the greatest guitar player in this seat right here, sitting in this seat. You know, he, he didn't like that. He didn't like, he didn't need that because he was, but it didn't matter to be called the greatest doesn't mean shit because what does that do? It just builds up your ego. And then you've got more pressure to be great, 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 great. When you just want to be a human being and maybe not being so great all the time would have led Hendrix to be 37 instead of 27. So that greatness that we build these people up, just all these celebrities, these Britney Spears, we build them up like they're fucking gods and they're just normal people. And then they start to rise and they rise and they rise and everyone falls, man. Everyone falls. No one can be JLo. Nobody can be fucking J-Lo. No, this is a lot of pressure for even J-Lo, you know. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that ass carrying the weight of the world. Tell you what. <laughs> so uh, what, what is some advice you'd give to someone aspiring to be a musician? Pretty much that. Don't expect to be Jimi Hendrix. Be yourself. Um, of course, uh, take in all of the music that you really love and put it in yours because that will give you your own sound you know like of course i love you know like arcade fire porno for pyros like all the cure all these different bands right but since i love and i love the beastie boys and i love the wu-tang clan so all these things are my own collective like enjoyment of music and so when i go and interpret my you know creation of music all of these things all of my adventures all of the fun the music the things i had go into that and it comes out a certain way and it comes out in in me and i think when people instead of trying to be somebody else you know, like I, I I'm not going to name the, the band, but the the little um, Led Zeppelin guys are these little cats just copying the same stuff that the people did in the 70s. That's not new. That's not original. Be your fucking self. And when yourself, dude, you have no problem with that. And that's why I love watching about you. Like I was watching clips before this. I was showing my chick. I'm like, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. He's crushing. It's because you're yourself and you're having fun and you're just expressing you. And in, and in doing that, you can't go wrong. You can never go wrong because it's just people's opinion. They either are going to like it or they're not. And I'm going to tell you this. Some people like Jimi Hendrix and some people don't. And when you know that, who fucking cares, you know? Exactly. No, there's 7.8 billion people in the world. But, you know, speaking of those, you know, Led Zeppelin copycat hobbits, uh, I like that. <laughs> they like they put on a great live show. Like, I, I know that, like, they're, like band persona like in the studio in their promotion and kind of stuff they're trying to be like some cross between boston and, and zeppelin but their live yeah. performances are they fucking jam out and they enjoy that shit like that's that's the music that they love and it's clear i would say the only reason that i i, I make I, I don't want to make fun of them because they are really they're really good at what they're doing 
it was just that Saturday Night Live when they, they came out and this this guy, he really did look like Frodo. And I know that's horrible to say. It's a lot of pressure to be on Saturday Night Live. But once <laughs> again, I think I think that's just trying too hard. Like when they came out, they were just trying and they're super young. And that's the thing. I, I think that they have these people that are just putting them in the spotlight, putting them in these clothes, and they just probably love the music, but now they're in the limelight and they just have to be this thing. And they're probably the greatest guys on the planet. I have no idea. But personally, like visually, it, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. But that's just me. Once again, that's my opinion. My opinion means nothing about music. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. people's opinion don't mean shit. It does exactly. That's that's brilliant. So exactly. That's I think that's the best advice. Is just don't give a fuck about what people think because other people yeah. are gonna think highly. Um, yeah. Greta Van Fleet give a shit about me. Let me. Do that. <laughs> they don't give a shit about me. Uh, I love it. So, where's the best place for our listeners to connect with you online? Um. I guess like the Instagram, I'm, I'm always doing live streams on Instagram. I mean, we're on all the like listening platforms, you know, if you want to listen to us, but I tend to pop on my Instagram and, and do like, especially during the, the pandemic, I I've been doing a lot of like live streaming just to, just to keep up the chops and to, you know, we had a whole new album right before the pandemic. We were about to record it, go on tour, go to London, all this crazy shit. Then the pandemic happened and now it's turning into a double album and it just, it sucks, you know. So it, it sucks, sucks, but it'll also be a double album. That's great. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> right? Oh man, that's that's funny. You, you mentioned keeping your chops up. Like I went like a good two three months without doing live stream, and then I did like yeah. three songs and lost my voice. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Pry. Like I, I sing at least. Every day, fifteen to to thirty minutes every day. Like, like it, that's just like r- habitual, but usually average about uh, an hour, hour and a half a day, and then um, that includes playing, of course. But then uh, during the weekend, I like to just you know keep it up because you, like you said, once you stop, the the voice especially is is like a muscle, and when you stop using it, it really does, it really does kind of get funky and you got to bring it back and you got to remember all those things that you already taught yourself. And that's no fun. Exactly. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and play your song. Uh, Don't go real quick and we will be right back. And a harder go 
the jam, dude. Um, so that's just off your uh, most recent album, a Angels and Demons and Everything in Between. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a jam. So tell us a little bit about the recording of that album. We did it at Devereaux Sound. Got some feedback going. But, um, in Long Beach. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was super fun. But we also did it at my friend's house, uh, uh, MJ, with MJ and the Space Jams. Uh, and we kind of did, the, we ticky-tacky. We did some at Devereaux Sound and some at his house. And yeah, it all just kind of came together. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a stickler when it comes to... Uh, to um making albums you know like i i tend to rush them because i want them out quick 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 but then sometimes that screws up the process you know so sometimes like this this pandemic is going to be great because i've had time to to you know sit back and to to think about the the songs but then i was rushing everything rushing rushing because i felt honestly the core of, of hurt and heartbeat that that time was falling apart and it really was like i had a different drummer uh, than i have now I had a lead guitar player that, you know, he, even though he was helping us make the album, he was slowly leaving. So it was all falling apart. So I was trying to like keep it together in my hands as much as I could before it fell out. And then right before COVID, it kind of did anyways. And I, I got a new drummer. And then at that point I just started playing leads because I, I always could play leads, but I also like to, you know, do my best to Tina Turner. So it's kind of <laughs> hard to do that. When you're friggin' when you got a guitar in your hand all the time, so um, so yeah, that that was kind of it. I was trying to keep us all together, and I rushed it really quick, and it, it turned out okay. It was it was it's decent. Yeah, that's funny because I, I that's my goal someday is to get out from behind, like find a guitarist to so I can get out from behind it and do my best of Tina Turner. So you know, MJ Face Jams, <laughs> contact him. Let me tell you, the hell of a guitar player. <laughs> Right on. I, I got to be able to afford him first. <laughs> oh, he's cheap. He'll go cheap. Believe me, he'll do it cheap. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, then on top of that, you before we jumped into the song, you mentioned uh, that you had a tour in London scheduled uh, coming up that kind of got shipwrecked. What was the process for booking that? Like, how'd that all come to be? Uh, it was basically just building up the the fan base over there, and uh, it started getting crazy, man. Like, I, I have a, this guy, his name's James, like me, but he he's so awesome. He's got like a, a hurt in the heartbeat, like like a logo like this, but a hurt in the heartbeat on his on his leg. He tattooed that shit on his leg. It was what? fucking amazing. Yeah, and then then I think he got another one of our logos on his leg. So in London, I was like, shit, dude, things are getting real. If people are tattooing them, themselves in London, I better start, you know. And then so I, I started sending like a whole bunch of just free shit. Like I sent like a whole bunch of stickers. Um, honestly, like uh, some of my original like um, like lyric pages, like just valuable shit. Just send it to London. Send it to London. And then like that guy, James, I love him to death. He took the stickers and he went to like um, – abbey abbey road and he's like sticking hurt in the heartbeat stickers all over fucking abbey road and i'm like my mind's being blown <laughs> that this is happening like it really is and then at that point i kind of have a manager that um i started hitting up his name's mike brennan i love him to death and and he had already put uh a couple gigs together 
in London and not just London, but like once you get to London, it all kind of lines up. Like unlike here, like we don't really have like a, uh, like, you know, basically one day, say you'd be in San Diego, next year in LA, next year in San Francisco, you got to put all that shit together. Like you've got to do that yourself. In in Europe, it's like once you start at one place, then boom, then all of a sudden next year in Berlin, then, and you just, it's all really small and they all kind of like line up with one another. And once they like you, you start taking off. So we were ready to go and then it, it fell out and it was just crazy. That is crazy, but that's wild that you've got like people in London getting your band logo tattooed on them. Like, I had once some dude in Argentina like draw me right and send me this drawing he made of me, and I'm like, that's that's the coolest fucking thing ever. I love that. Like, that's yeah. so cool too. That like, ironically, that guy MJ he did a, a a painting of me as well, you know, and it was okay. It was just okay. So that was kind of the ending of the friendship because I was like, dude, you better fucking draw me. <laughs> probably better <laughs> oh, shit that's funny um yeah it, it's just wild that with the power of the internet like this is a new thing this is 20 years since myspace was first introduced to us and an ability to you know reach out to people like that nobody had that before us it's never existed in the history of music and mankind like imagine if bach had instagram to be able yep. to like you know put his shit out <laughs> there <laughs> Did, did you see that Bowie that Bowie interview where he was like he's like yeah with the internet he's like he's like this technology he's like you're gonna be able to touch people like you never have before and that was tw- that was like 25 years ago that he said that yeah. so it's 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 just instant now look at us we're hanging out even though like we're not here our minds are fucking connected through this trippy ass device you know so exactly awesome. and then. I don't know how many people are going to listen to this conversation, uh, you know, down the road, but you know, like I still see like people listen to like the first episodes I have put out like 10 months ago. Right. Like it's, it's wild. Those conversations continue to affect people like for years to come. It's, it's absolutely nuts. And that's what it's about. It's affecting people. Like somebody on Instagram sent me a a message saying, thank you for doing what you're doing. And I'm like, what, what, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I'm just talking, but, but in that sense, I guess, you know, just us talking and sharing our experiences makes people realize that, Hey, they're like, they're the same experiences. Like we're not so different. Cause I think that's one of the keys of depression. Everyone thinks they're so different and they, that, that, that they're not part of the tribe, but you know, it's not true. We're, we're all the same. And like in the dolphin, like pod world, okay. Dolphins will cruise in pods. Right. And all of a sudden there'll be this fucked up dolphin. That's got like a jacked up fin and he can't swim with everybody else. So this dolphin will go to the very bottom. Cause he just can't hang with the pod. Well, the pod is so caring about its community that it assigns another dolphin to go and hang out with that dolphin for like, say, three hours. Then boom, then that dolphin comes back up. Then they send another dolphin. So that crippled dolphin never feels alone. And I think that's a metaphor for the, the podcast and just the talks and everything. We, we want to fucking make sure that everyone's taken care of. Every crippled dolphin, every fucking shining star everyone needs to be heard and you know felt not like it's true like i used to do this one weird thing like oh it's not maybe it's weird like it's weird 
to some people, but I thought it was, you know, back, back before gay marriage was legalized and, you know, all that, like I used to just, I'm not gay, but I'd randomly come out as gay. Just like if I was at a restaurant with a female friend, like you guys are a cute couple. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, actually I'm gay. You know, just in case some kid was listening around me with like asshole puritanical parents, like to let them know, like, it's cool. You know, (laughs) like it is cool. Believe me, like it's crazy because like, I don't, I don't, and this is my ignorance, but I, I don't see people as gay or straight. I just see them as like these beings of light. So I physically have people look at me and say like, dude, I'm fucking gay, man. I'm fucking gay. And I'm just like, Oh, I didn't know because like I, I see people on these different levels. And when they open up to me, like, I love that. Like I had this, this trans um, person, I'm just going to say trans person because I'm going to leave it where it was. This person walked up to me, um, she looked like a chick, but she was transitioning. So I didn't know what to call this the person. So I just didn't say shit. I didn't say anything. I was just talking to, to this person all hey, and the person's just sharing everything with me, all this stuff. And I was just stoked. And then finally they're like, Yeah, my name's like uh whatever it was, it was Tracy or Dan, whatever they wanted to be called. I called them that. And then at that point, we just bonded and we became really close. Just because I wasn't judging this person for who the fuck that they wanted to be. And it's whoever so they not hard. Was cool. <laughs> yeah, it's not hard. It, just respect what people want to be, whether they're gay, whether they're straight, whether they're trans. Who fucking cares? Life is so short. Who am I or who are you to judge anyone to tell them what to do? You know, so... Fucking a, not at all. Can I judge anybody or tell anybody what to do? That's that would be terrible. But yeah, it's so easy. Like because nine out of ten trans people are so like so used to the first question being so like, what are you or you know you don't look like a boy or like bullshit like that. And it's like this yeah. is so unnecessary in any conversation. <laughs> well, even even in that conversation, I could tell that, that, that the person she, like, she was waiting for, like they, they were waiting for me to make that ignorant comment. And I'm just like, I don't know if it's just that I've been playing music and I've just been around so many people where you just don't care anymore. You're just like, you see people for people. Like when you meet so many different people, like the judging takes away from the inside. Like when you judge someone, you don't, you know, I'll give you a great story. So I'm in Laguna beach one time and this was like, kind of the tail end of me at Laguna beach and there's tons of homeless people there. And, uh, you know, they, they just think that you're going to be an asshole because most people are. So this dude was just completely drunk out of his mind. And he looks at me and he goes, Hey, give me five bucks. And I looked at him and I'm like, I had five bucks in my pocket. I'm like, boom, I just handed him five bucks and I started walking away. Okay. And then he, he turned around, he goes, Hey, what the fuck? You gave me five bucks. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, he's like, come back here. And I'm like, okay. So I came back and he's like, why? And then he just broke it down. He's like, why'd you give me five bucks? I'm like, cause you asked. And he's like, people don't do that shit. He's like, what's up with you? And then we just became, I mean, I wouldn't say we became friends, but I got to know that guy for about five or 10 minutes. I got to live in that guy's mindset for a little while. I got to be in this homeless mindset for a little while and see what was bothering him. And I wanted to, to heal that dolphin a little bit. And my five bucks wasn't doing anything, but listening to his story and, and hearing, letting him just vent about where the fuck he had been, it helped him just for that little bit. And then I was able to, to go on with my night and not worry about my bullshit, you know? So Right. It's, it's wild. I love that dolphin analogy. It's fucking great. 
the best. <laughs> it really is. I, I, I have like I have a lot of uh, I have a huge wormhole of Wikipedia articles and YouTube videos to fall into tonight. Now, thanks to you. Uh, <laughs> so, what's your favorite curse word? Fuck, of course. You know? Of course, naturally, naturally. Yeah. You're you're an American. Like, and I, then and then I've been hanging out with the Brits though. Like, I, I'll be honest. You know what it is? Like, since oh, I've yeah. been hanging out with the Brits, it's cunt. You yeah. know, or the Aussies. I, I love it. It's yep. magical. That's yep. because it, it it's such a different meaning for them than it is for us. Yeah, having it's like the, it's like the, you know, well, it's like it's like buddy, and buddy yep. is the opposite. Like, you call someone yep. buddy, like they're. They're the shit heel that you don't want to talk to. You call them cunt, like they're you know, <laughs> they're that's your best friend. <laughs> exactly, it's totally true. So yeah. Alternative. <laughs> what's your favorite piece of gear? My Martin uh, OM two eight E, hands down, my acoustic. Nice. Yeah, I, I love my Martin too. That's that's they're they're sexy. That's oh, all there is to it. They're beautiful. And I walked in the guitar center one time and she was locked up and uh, it was way too expensive. And I looked at the guy and I said, hey, man, like, why is that fucking thing locked up? You know, and he's like, look at the price. And I looked at the price and I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, OK, well, can I play it? And he's like, like, basically, dude, once you play it, you're going to buy it. You know, and I'm like, just let me see it. And I took it off the wall. I, I plugged it into an amp and I started playing and I'm not tooting my own horn. Fucking like four or five people in Guitar Center started coming to the acoustic room. They started coming to the acoustic room. You know that never happens. No, that never. never happens. They're assholes in Guitar Center. And all of a sudden, I, I'm like, oh my god, I gotta get this guitar. Literally, I have to get this guitar. And and I didn't get a Guitar Center. I went on Sweetwater, and and then there was payments. And dude, it took me years and years. And it, but you know what? That's that's my favorite. That's my favorite gear. That's it's beautiful. That uh, that's I love that you, you had the the she will be mine moment at Guitar Center, which <laughs> you get focused. You know you get focused. You get it too. Oh, yeah. Like you get focused on a piece of gear, and you'll you'll sell your body for that gear. It doesn't matter. Oh, absolutely, have- absolutely. That's and that I've I've discovered over the years how to do less with more. But there's still like right now I'm fixated on getting myself a a, a, a six bass and. Uh, you know, like the old Peter Hook one, and uh, it's, it's going to happen, right? <laughs> like it's, it's just a matter of when. Speaking of Peter Hook, speaking of Peter Hook, that guy is so fucking cool. Uh, you know, I, these are some tips, tips for you if you want to open up for people. Fucking like Peter Hook, go to his Instagram, like I did, and I said, "Hey man, you're coming to the House of Blues in Anaheim." Fucking, I am a huge fan. I'm a huge New Order Joy Division fan. I would love to open for you. My band's hurting the heartbeat here. I'm at, you know, thinking I'll never fucking get any response. He's like, "Oh, thanks, mate, but we're gonna fucking play Joy Divisions. We're gonna come out and we're gonna be the opening band, and we're gonna do fucking like Joy Division in the beginning. Then we're gonna do New Order." And I'm like. He fucking personally like sent me these messages. Like it wasn't, it, it was him because he knew his shit. And I was like, wow, like people like that, they're cool as fuck. Cool as fuck. Yeah, that's fucking rad. I love it so much. Um, so you've, COVID's over. You've gone on your European tour and it's gone so well 
that you're flying back on a private jet with all the records that you've bought in Europe. And then all of a sudden the plane's going down and uh, you have time to grab three records that you're going to play on your coconut powered radio on the island you're going to be living on for the next several years with your volleyball. What three records are you grabbing? Jesus Christ. Disintegration. Um, Cure, of course, Disintegration. Three albums. And I know this is horrible, but Joshua Tree by U2. Uh, Why is that horrible? Like, that's... I, because I they, they got... Like, I love them to death, but, like, that after they gave us the free album, they fucking jumped the shark like Bonzi. And, and, and for me to say that, I'm such a huge fan. It's like... <laughs> The, the Joshua Tree is like one of the best fucking albums ever. And then you listen you listen to their current and it's just like, just fucking stop. Just keep playing your old shit and stop. And, and believe me, when I get to their age and I'm still trying to make current music and I and someone tells me to stop, I probably will. Um, but last album, it'd have to be something from, from Mazzy Star or Hope Sandoval. Uh, fucking anything from her. Any, any full album from, from Hope Sandoval. Okay, Good. brilliant. I, I like that combo. But it's funny because Paul McCartney somehow still makes relevant good music at 80 or however old he is. So there's Did that. Did you hear that latest one? Did you hear that? Yeah, I loved it. Of course, I like the remixes a lot more. But <laughs> I didn't get through fucking 10 minutes of it. And I don't know if I'm just being that guy, but I, I love Paul. Paul, Paul McCartney is the greatest living musician of, of fucking like right now. He's there's nobody greater than him, hands down. But I, I listened to the first two or three songs and I was like, what the fuck is going on? I, I personally couldn't do it. But that's me being a music, you know, kind of Nazi, which sucks. But um, listen to the Beck I remix. Beck did a remix of that first song, and I, it might change your mind about the album. I don't know. We'll see. But Have you heard about the Fireman? The Fireman? Yeah. Okay, just checking, because I didn't know about that forever. And all of a sudden, I hear about this Fireman album, and I'm like, holy shit, it was a Secret Paul album, you son of a bitch. That was great. That was a great album. It was. I actually saw him on that tour, um, if oh, I remember right. Oh. Yeah, he, he, he played a few songs off of it. Yeah, it, like he was mostly sticking to the Beatles and Wings stuff, right? But he did play a couple of his solo jams, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um, That's all. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, Paul's the shit. I can't say enough good things about is that. Your, is your favorite Beatle? Is he your favorite Beatle? Yeah, you know, I I mean. Like, you know, everybody wants to say John and like creatively. Yeah, he was brilliant, but like he was also a dick. <laughs> like, I agree with that 100%. 100%. You know, and that's that's part of it for me, you know, like on top of it, Paul was the more, you know, like classically talented musician. But on top of it, he was just mostly a nice dude. Like, you know, like it gets a little weird with some of the, the vet, with his family and some of the vegetarian stuff, but he's not Morrissey. So, oh no, I, I'm, all, I'm all for his vegetarian. I, I used to be a vegan for like, I was a vegan for 25 years and he was one of the biggest influences. I had to stop because my health, I, I eat meat, but, uh, for 25 years, I was fully behind that and, and seeing him so dedicated and committed and Ringo, both of them just made me fucking, you know, that completely helped that totally helped. And I think the Beatles and themselves have created their own, their own form of religion, their own form of culture that has affected the world so immensely that, you know, it, every time someone says give peace a chance or, or just, you know, all you need is love, like that's a culture in itself. You oh, know? absolutely. And, and, and I think as the, the dick part about John Lennon, 
you know, I, I think that he was always having to prove himself to everybody, you know, and I think that comes from just, you know, from where he came from. They both came from the same place. But I, I think that coming from that, just having to show everyone, hey, you know, proving, proving gets old after a while. And then I think he became the king of the world. You know, he really did. Like, there was nobody bigger than John Lennon when, when he was alive. Like, he was the most famous person on the planet. And and Paul was a great musician and gifted, but he wasn't fucking John Lennon. And so that was the problem. That's what made John Lennon the target. And so, you know, I've heard contradictory stories about him. Uh, I, I talked to this one guy that said that he met John and Yoko at uh, the Fillmore East and said that he just walked up to him, said, hey, you got a light? And he's like, yeah. And then John Yoko just hung out with this cat and just, you know, was super cool. Like nothing ever happened. But then I heard this really weird story recently where he, uh, John Lennon snuck backstage uh, from the killer, Jerry Lee Lewis's show, and fucking saw him, didn't say a word, bent down and licked his shoe, got up and left. I thought that was crazy. But <laughs> the point of the point of this he was a human being as well. So when you all of a sudden become this king of the world, you're, you're fucking, everyone wants to be around you. Everyone wants to touch you. Everyone wants to feel you. You're going to be an asshole. Like you're just going to be, you know, because you kind of have to be, you got to put up that defense. Cause if you don't, you get fucking shot nine times or whatever, how he did. I mean, look, he autographed that guy's fucking, he autographed that David fucking Chapman's uh, like albums. He was cool as fuck. And that guy turned around and shot him. So, yeah. I, okay. It's, it's it's crazy. My favorite Beatle happens to be, at the moment it changes, but it's George. Right now it's fucking George, but it it always shifts. It shifts between George and John, and sometimes Paul. Like it shifts, and some of them give me different aspects of life. Like Ringo gives me the peace, John gives me the rebellion, Paul gives me the structure, and George gives me the fucking the the wisdom of the experience of life. That's so wild. There's the re- of the Beatles. That's okay. I will go with that. And then how, how do you feel about Sean? Have you gotten to see him live yet with any of his projects? I, I met Sean like right before COVID. And I'll tell you my Sean's story. I got to meet Sean and Les Claypool. Uh, they played at Anaheim stadium. Uh, <sighs> uh, sorry. Sorry. House of blues in Anaheim. And coincidentally, I played there the Friday before I got this, this message from the house of blues. And they're like, Hey, um, can you play tonight? And I was like, fuck, all right, like tonight, sure. So I get my band, uh, we get together, we play, and uh, I didn't hear anything from the House of Blues. The very next day, I see that the House of Blues official it starts following me on my her, the Instagram feed. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Dan Aykroyd's wife is like, like, she's in charge of it. I'm like, what's going on? So then a little while later, like a month later, I get this weird email saying, hey, would you like to, to meet fucking Sean and Les? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> at, at same venue that I just played. So I'm like, yes. So then all of a sudden, um, yeah, me and me and my chick, we go and we we get we're, we're in this VIP area because that's where we think we're supposed to be. And uh, then these other people walk up to us and they go, hey, are you so and so? And we're like, yeah, no, you're not in this area. You're actually here. And then they took us into some special room, started giving us all this free shit like free posters free like battery chargers all this weird crap and then they took us into this room and then they're like wait here and then wine was served 
And then there was like about eight other people in the room. And then security was called. Sean and Les are coming. And then all of a sudden the doors open and fucking Sean and Les are like right there. And then they sit down in front of us in these chairs and people start asking questions. And I'm just blown away by all of this. And so there's, I'm blown away. So this one kid, he's young and he just doesn't know shit. And he goes, uh, Sean, Sean Lennon, um, what's your favorite Doors song? Okay. And fucking Les just goes, don't you mean Beatles, man? Don't you mean Beatles? And, and he's like, no, I really like the Doors. <laughs> he's like, I like the Doors. And fucking Sean's like, well, I like, he's like, I like the end uh, when the music's over. And he just starts answering him. Super cool, right? Super cool. So I wasn't going to say anything, but finally I couldn't take it. So I say, I say, I say, hey, Les, and I've got a microphone in my hand. I'm all, hey, uh, what's the writing dynamic between you two? I go, Les, do you just write crazy bass lines? And, 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 and all of a sudden he interrupts me and he goes, what do you mean crazy there, buddy? And I go, I go, you know what I'm talking about. I go, you know what I'm talking about. And I go, and Sean, do you just throw trippy lyrics at the, the trippy bass lines? And do they just come together? And I said that, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, Les looks to Sean and he says, did you hear that, Skipper? And they both look at each other and he says, he said, come together. And they both turn and look at me and they go, come together right now over me. And they sang that to me. In my mind, I, I could have, I like, dude, I was fucking, sh I couldn't believe it. So then at the very end, like everyone was like, I don't know if they were getting autographs or whatever. Oh, pictures. We were doing pictures. And so we're doing the pictures. I snuck my CD in there. I got my little stupid hurt in the heartbeat CD. And finally I got my like two seconds to talk to them. I look at Les, I look at Sean and I go, dude, I've loved both of you for decades, decades. But I go, Sean, you're the reason that I make music, which is completely true. Cause I saw him 20 years prior at the Tibetan Freedom concert. And I thought he's cool as fuck. And I'm like, if he, if he can do it, I can do it. So then I handed him my CD. He looked at my Hurt in the Heartbeat CD and he smiled. He said, thanks. And he walked away down the hall staring at my CD. And then he went out and ripped the fucking performance that I'll never forget. And that's my Sean Lennon story. So <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. I mean, I've, I've seen Ghost of Sabretooth Tiger a couple times. I've seen Claypool uh -huh. Lennon uh, a, a few times. Uh, they're both yeah. just fucking phenomenal live. They are um, phenomenal. But it's funny, like one of my sound engineer buddies has told me this weird story and I'm, I'm sure it's his management and not him. Like he probably has no idea that this exists, but apparently like his management goes around and tells the help not to look at Sean. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like it was wow. absolutely wild. Like wow. you know, the sound guys, the lighting guys, the, 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 the stage techs. Yeah, just that they they all get instructions from management to not look at Sean Lennon. Well, dude, I had a I had a uh, a friend that worked at the the St. Regis Hotel in uh like uh what is it Dana Point area, and uh, Lauren Hill from the Fugees, which I'm a huge fan of. She she had those orders too. Like it was something like nobody was allowed to look at her. Nobody was allowed to address Lauren Hill. Like they all had to look down when she walked by. Like there were there were orders like that, bro, and. That's fucking crazy. Like if people really make that kind of thing, like that's, that's, that's just, 
Here's I the thing. Robert- I'm 80% sure it's their manager trying to make, like, inflate them, like, to make it think, like, it's like uh, when Paz joined the Pixies and, like, it was, like, their second show and she stage died and the manager came up to her after the show and was like, you don't fucking do that. This isn't, you're not in, you're not in a perfect circle anymore. This is the fucking Pixies, Pixies, right? <laughs> like, have some respect, goddammit. <laughs> like, wow. yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Like she was just so blown away, and like you know, like I don't think that came from Frank. I think that came from management. You know, like I'm trying to think of some of the crazy management stories I've had. Like, yeah, I've I've had a. Usually, it's people let me get away with things, you know. But uh, I know that I pissed off. Oh, 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 yeah. One time we opened up for Robbie Krieger, and uh, and uh, there were some ticket sale problems where like I sold way too many tickets and the people at this, this, uh, like I, uh, dude, I like sold like two grand worth of tickets. I gave them one grand and they wanted all two grand. And I'm like, fuck you. You're not getting my money. I earned this money. So it became like this huge problem right before Robbie Krieger and you know, they need an opening band. And I told them, I'm like, if I'm keeping this grand and if not, like I'm not going on stage. And then at that point, like, Dude, like everyone got involved. Fucking the whole place was like, and I'm starting to blow the fuck up. I'm getting pissed. I'm not, I'm throwing a temper tantrum. Finally, they're like, fuck it, keep the thousand and go. And then at that point, I go up on stage thinking everything's good. I'm having a good time. Fucking, uh, we play this great show. I think I'm having a lot of fun. And I run out into the audience and I think I like, I bumped somebody accidentally with my ass and, and, but it's looking like it's all great. It's all fun. Everything. I thought it was a great performance. Hell no. Afterwards, the person came up to me and was just screaming at me. Like, what, what was that? That's not what we paid for. Robbie's not going to like this, but Robbie Krieger had nothing to do with this. This was once again, the management of this per se venue and dude i felt like i was going to get into a lawsuit because of this but that's when rock and roll sets in when you're just like dude rebellion in the truth fuck you man like <laughs> that's it yeah. i don't care do me take me to court and nothing came of it you know so no those deals are so sketchy anyway like you know yep. like those and it's so it's always weird because you always hear about like these these artists who aren't you know who are on the down downward slope of their careers right like charging people to open for them as if that's like that's that's not something i could ever see most of the musicians that i love doing right like exactly it's 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 just you know like if 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 you or i ever get to that stage i know there's never going to be a point where we're charging up and coming bands to to open for us to get some cred oh no we're it's it's, that's insane Every time Dude. it's going to be trying to help out some musician that I, I appreciate and want to do well, you know, like I, I put, I literally put on shows uh, just small at bars, right? Just put on shows and I will give people out of my own pocket, bro, out of my own pocket. I'll give them like whatever, like 50 to 100, whatever I feel that they've earned that night, you know, and I know that sounds crazy, but. That doesn't happen anymore. People aren't even making the 50 to 100. To, to stand on the stage now, you need to give someone four to $500 to stand on stage for a half an hour, which is the problem with the music industry right now. It's a big problem, this, this still pay-to-play bullshit. But in doing that, you learn to, to create around that. And when you do that, it, it creates its own thing. But it's still problematic. 
down here we're lucky that it's not pay to play yet but it's it's like the last show i played i think i got 20 bucks and two drink tickets so <laughs> right yeah I, I think that was the the which was fine but in uh in salt lake that's the thing i do miss about salt lake is i've had gigs constantly <laughs> like i i was i almost had to turn down gigs sometimes because i was that busy like you know but most of them didn't pay anything most of them were free but i could still sell merch i still was getting out there and it was getting to the point where you know like i had some decent sized crowds and stuff like but then i remember my early days growing up in la trying to be in bands and like you know i'm this poor barista in college and i'm trying to play a show and the whiskey hits me up and they're like yeah dude you can you can come play the whiskey i'm like okay fuck yeah awesome how did i luck out like that oh and that'll be that'll be 750 dollars <laughs> you know like, i'm like what <laughs> well this is this is the thing what this is the trick to the whiskey okay once you start getting a, a a bigger name like once you start like building your name that price starts to drop and drop and drop i'm just telling you oh yeah the bigger you the the, the more because like i think we might have paid that back in the day but like now like i haven't played the whiskey in a real long time it's fucking been i don't even know three years or something like that but I actually proposed to my my fiance on the house of the whiskey stage, and I know we weren't paying that. So, but the thing is, they give you the tickets, and if you're able to sell the tickets, that's where you make up the money. Yeah. So it's pros and cons. You know? Exactly. So I, I think the key to that, and, and especially now, is just you build up your audience online first, and then yep. then you go out and you know hopefully you'll be able to sell those thirty tickets or whatever you have to sell at twenty bucks a pop, and then you're good. Exactly. Exactly. Nailed it. There's a strategy. But I didn't know that when I was 17. (laughs) Who does? Who who would? Who would? Yeah. I I, I knew, like, my friends and I had a band, and we played punk rock, and I thought we were really fucking good, and we weren't. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... hurt in a heartbeat when i'm done with all this i'm gonna be like dude we weren't we weren't that good like, like but i'm not saying about my friends but i'm saying that about like my writing because like that's where the insecurities come in you know like as an artist you just you always feel that you you always feel that like the shit in the in the past like i i've written probably like 70 like songs and like i've like i like two of them out of the 72 of them you know so I, I I have the I have the thing where I hate all the songs that people like that I write. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I went through the thing like I was in a band about twelve years ago uh, with musicians that were way more talented than me. Like I was the bass player, and uh, you know the band was never going to go anywhere because personalities and blah blah but we made really fucking good music and i learned so much from that experience that i was able to take with me and that's that's been a big thing for me is uh just just you know always playing with music musicians that challenge me <laughs> oh definitely. well bro you're you're i'm not gonna lie i like i said i watch your your videos you're truly talented like you you have it and i know that sounds cheesy but like you either have it or you don't you know and like you have it you you have you just have the whole thing you, you you have the music coming to you you have the rhythm you have the melody you just and then it's coming out right up here it, it's it's dope i i i am a fan i am a golden plates fan for real i really truly am oh 
I love that. Thank you. Um, so what do you back, back to what we're actually talking about? Cause we're not here to talk about golden plates. Uh, <laughs> what do you like to write about lyrically? Uh, whatever I'm going through at the, the particular time that, that like sometimes uh, I won't write at all, you know, like, uh, I mean, I wrote some songs during the pandemic, but I didn't really care. But then recently, like my best friend passed away. So then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay. the only way that I'm going to get through this is if I write a fucking song about it. So then I wrote a song about it and I'm not over it. But now I know that like it's a way that I can deal with the issue of my friend passing. Just play that song and then you kind of visualize that person and you're, you know, you feel it all. So it's more or less just me dealing with my problems and dealing with, uh, whatever but the song don't go that you played was was honestly just a challenge by uh one of i have a music teacher i had a music teacher and he would tell me he's like bro i need you to write me a new song every two weeks like it's got to be good like every two weeks they got to be pro you got to come back here every two weeks and so that one i rushed the don't go and i took it to him i'm like here here and i played it for him and he's like no man it's not good (laughs) he's like it's it's, it's (laughs) just not good and i'm like all right so at that point i i just felt like i shouldn't listen to him but he's a berkeley graduate and he knows he's fucking talking about and at that point i just didn't care i was gonna be me i i knew that i had to like get that off of my chest and yes it was just something to to take to him but there was meaning behind it there was like visualization you know like there there was a process behind it so then i released it and it became one of our biggest tracks like everybody liked it and and he didn't like it per se and i don't particularly like it but it you know other people dig it and if it means something to somebody else that's when it's cool because it's hard for me to listen to my music and to really feel anything because i've already like I said with my friend, when I play that song a million times to learn it, I'm dealing with the problem. I'm dealing with the issue. And once I've dealt with it, I'm not saying it goes away, but it kind of goes away. And then I can move on to the next problem. And that's really how I write songs. Right. Well, it's also subjective. Like you mentioned, like he graduated from Berkeley. Like, you know, like I know a guy. Well, I know of a guy who, who uh, graduated from Berkeley and like his greatest musical accomplishment was like this mandala of like each note was like the time signature was equivalent to the rotation of a planet around the sun. And it made wow. this, like, it's this really beautiful, intricate, difficult to make piece. Right. But it's yeah. not something yeah. I'd ever sit and listen to in the car. You know, like it, it doesn't make me feel anything. It's cool as shit. It's a great idea, yeah. but that's the thing. Sometimes, like education, like you have to know the rules well enough to break them. Definitely, that's but, definitely, and that's death. That's the truth. <laughs> and, but, and honestly, that's why with my friend because he he went to Berkeley and dude, he learned everything, and then I went to really just get this you know the squash down version of what i really needed and you know it it, it worked out and as for him though his he's such a g he plays with people like the smashing pumpkins and shit like that so his berkeley degree definitely paid off and i'm I'm (laughs) so i'm i'm happy that uh he's doing what he's doing he's he's really like making music for his career to buy a house and to do these things. Like, you know what I'm saying? He like, that's a real dream. Me, I'm a fucking UPS driver. You're a sound like a, we, 
fucking want to be that one day when you can just pay your fucking rent with your skills, dude, that's, that's, that's next level shit. You know, that, so, that is the dream, you know, it is the, I don't think I'll make it in this lifetime, but I'm going to fucking try, you know, I don't know, so. man, from the sounds of it, people getting tattoos and shit. Like it's just, <laughs> you have to have that mentality of like treating your music like a business and it sucks yeah. because nobody yeah. wants to do that. Like it's a pain in the ass, but yep. totally that doesn't true. mean you have to sacrifice your artistic integrity to yep. also, you know, monetize your skill set because that's the world we live in. You know, like everyone like talks about like this dream world where like, well, let's just get rid of money and you can, you know, like barter your musical talents and shit. And like that sounds great, but no, that's not the world we live yeah. in. We live in a world no. where people want to shit pay for shit they want to pay for um you know if if our if i can create art that helps people escape or teaches people something or helps them enjoy their lives a little bit more and i can make it worthwhile enough to enough people to pay my mortgage and that's the goal and i gotta figure out how to do that it's a tough one especially in this this pandemic climate it's really tough you know, but you never know. You know, I had a friend tell me today that, you know, his his friend just got picked up by the little Uzi guy and he had a five hundred thousand dollar like signing contract. But that's that's different genres. And, you know, I, believe me, if we were uh, doing some hip hop, I'm sure we'd be blowing. But that's the, the problem that the genres, the, the different bullshit. Dude, I'm from the place where like in the 90s where everything was mashed together. You know, we we had the Lollapalooza where you where I'd see Ice T and Body Count, and then I'd see Nine Inch Nails, and then I'd see Susie, Jane Section, all in one show, and it was just or in Henry Rollins, all these different aspects of you know life, and now everything is just so different. Everything has just this reggaeton beat that you know what I'm saying, like these little individual pockets of music where it starts to take away from the the whole just music, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Like one of my favorite projects to come out in the last decade is uh, Banks and Steels uh, with uh, Paul Banks and uh, the RZA. And uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Totally. It's so brilliant. Never took off like nothing like. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But I saw the RZA with Yoko, dude, seeing the seeing the RZA play chess with Yoko at that fucking concert, dude. It was so crazy. They were playing chess on stage, and then all of a sudden the RZA just starts rapping. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then Yoko just starts doing her Yoko thing, and I'm like, this is amazing. It was art, truly art. Oh, yeah. The, the RZA's the shit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, but my favorite part of the show, it's uh, Hot Takes with Elder Bryson. What's your unpopular opinion? What's your, uh, what's your view that you know is true that nobody else does? I know the secret of the Mona Lisa. Okay. Can you elaborate? <laughs> yes. Okay. So basically uh, my whole life I've heard that secret of Mona Lisa, secret of Mona Lisa, secret of Mona Lisa. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Come on. And so I've never heard that for once. A long, yeah. For a long time, I, I was trying to study this thing and I'm like, dude, where's the secret? And I'm looking for all these things. And, and finally, I'm watching, you know, Ancient Aliens. And uh, one of the episodes talks about Da Vinci's painting. Uh, I forget which one it is, but it's in the back of a, uh, of a church. 
and it has this this guy like pointing up he's pointing up like this and then there's this black background okay and then the black uh, black background you can see this this gray like hue so somebody got that painting took it out of the the church and they looked at it and they they saw way more than they were supposed to because it was it was in this dark part of the church so when you saw that you could kind of see half of like an alien face on this 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 one painting and so then on the show they did all some like weird like mixing these things together to give it this image uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, that looks cool. And then they, tr- I think they did the Mona Lisa, but it, it didn't seem right. There was something wrong. Like it, they were doing way too many things to make this thing work. So at that, point, they weren't right. So then, what was that? So then, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. You glitched out a little bit, but I caught it. Okay. Okay. So so basically, then I uh, I took this app called Flipper. I screenshotted the. Uh, I screenshotted the Mona Lisa and then I flipped it just like you would look in a mirror. Like if you were to take a mirror of the Mona Lisa and mirror it, not do any weird funky shit like they did on the show, but if you just mirror it, it clearly gives you the secret. Like as soon as you mirror the Mona Lisa on the right side, you clearly see a whole image that goes through the middle of the Mona Lisa, starts at the bottom, you start seeing Giza, you start seeing pharaohs, you start seeing a phoenix at the top of rebirth. It's t- He's telling you a story. And then recently I did it with another uh, painting that he had. Same thing, same line, but this one had all of these different species of aliens going through to the top. You saw all of these what? different things that you could never see, like that he wouldn't have seen or been like possible to create. So he knew way more than the church was letting him, you know, tell. And so at that point, I used that for the Hurt and the Heartbeat logo. I fucking use the shit out of that. And wherever <laughs> I go, I try to just use it because I want people to know. And like when I go up to people that are intelligent, I show them that shit. I'm like, look, and it usually fucking blows their mind because it's something that not too many people have, have seen. I'm, yeah, I'd never heard of it until you mentioned it, but I'm, I'm going to have to, you have, have like five things that I, five rabbit holes to go down tonight. Like it's going to be great. Uh, That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talked about, you know, like paying pay your rent with your music and stuff, but like realistically, what are you hoping to accomplish uh, with your band in the years to come? Uh, with Hurt in the Heartbeat, I, I set out a mission just to do 10 albums. I, I just want to do 10 albums with that. We're on number four. And once we're done with the 10, I don't care. Like, that's just my goal. I'm like, I wanted to learn as much about making albums and creating my own music as possible. So that's why I started another reason I started hurting the heartbeat. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give 10 albums of this and see what I can do. And no matter who the players are, like I said, I got a new drummer. I got all these, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have 10 albums with that band. I don't care what it creates. I don't care what happens, just 10 albums. Then we can be done with it. And then at that point, I don't know, like with, with the muckers and these kids, these kids are fresh. They're young. I, I would like to kind of, uh, experience the 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 early stages of what i was doing with hurt in the heartbeat with these kids so they can kind of get a sense of like 
what it's all about, you know, and just what traveling around the world is and playing your music for people in different cities is about, you know, like that shit's fun. So no really accomplishments. I just want to just play, be able to play to people and, and have people move. The best feeling is just like, even if there's two people in the, the room and they feel your groove and they just start moving, that's fucking priceless. You yeah. know, it's priceless. No, you're spot on. I love that. I love that. Uh, but speaking of, you know, traveling the world and playing music, what's the best show you've ever played? I think that the last Robbie Krieger show that we played at uh, the Coach House, um, it was just my manager when i when he when i came out i mean that's that's a tough crowd the robbie krieger crowd the doors crowd they want motherfucking perfection and if it's not perfection they they're gonna keep eating their dinner because it's a fucking dinner place so it's really hard to, to to make something great there you know so i remember playing the show I, I fixed, I, I made everything so perfect that like even my jokes were hitting. I remember like right in the middle of the song, uh, I looked at this one guy, he was staring at me eating his dinner. And I said, yo man, I caught you looking at my shoes. I go, you know, Jim Morrison would wear a new balance. Like I just boom said it. The whole crowd was fucking laughing. Then we go right into the next song and it was just flawless. I think I have the song called Crow and in the middle of Crow, like as the crow flies, we did India by the fucking doors. Okay. So we're doing a melody. I'm doing my own song and in my own song, I'm doing a fucking door song. You know how balls that is? Like that's ball, especially when you got a door in the fucking, you know, in the room. Yeah. So and then basically, yeah, we, we, we fucking destroyed that stage. I came off. My manager was stoked. All these kids came running. I'm taking, it was the first moment that I was like, dude, this, this, this is fun. And I had to escape. Like, ironically, my friend Hayden, who's in the muckers, he was there and he was just like experiencing all this for the first time. And honestly, like 15, 20 teenagers came up and they're all, can we take pictures? Sweetie? It was getting crazy. And at that point that, you know, Roggy Krieger was getting up on stage. So we had to literally duck out the back like we were like some fucking celebrities. We're nobodies. We're <laughs> nobodies. But that night, you know, people thought we were somebody. So it was super fun. Yeah, that's that's fucking bitching. I, I, I love that story. Um, so are there any questions that you would have asked yourself if you were me? Could be me? Uh... No, you asked some pretty amazing questions, bro. Those are all oh. fucking fantastic. For real. <laughs> right on. Well, in, in that case, do you have any final words for our, for our audience? Just peace and love and listen to Golden Plates. Golden Plates. <laughs> ah, I love it. Awesome. Well, ladies and germs, thank you for joining us. This has been I Like Your Style. <laughs> <laughs>